It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Harold Coffin once said, Envy is the art of counting the other fellow's blessings instead of your own. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host, for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Jonathan, what's our topic for today's episode? Well, Rick, our question is, thou shalt not covet. Is it wrong to want? Our theme text is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Okay, so thou shalt not covet. Uh, Julie is also with us today. Ah, should I be worried that you invited me on this particular podcast as if I'm some sort of expert on coveting? Um, well, I don't know. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> we will find out. Let's so, hope not. <laughs> folks, coming up today, every human being has personal desires. So does the Bible say that they're wrong? We're going to look at this with some really big life issues in about 15 minutes. What about smaller desires? Can we appropriately have a desire to have the kind of status and success that our neighbor has? I mean, how can that be bad? Find out how to handle these things in an appropriate Christian way in about 30 minutes. And what does focusing on our desires make us miss? What do we miss by focusing on our desires? In about 45 minutes, we'll answer this with some powerful scriptural points. But first, let's pin down what coveting in the Bible really means. When God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, they were in specific order. Did you ever wonder why the last commandment was to not covet? To covet, in its most basic sense, is to have a strong desire for something. What was there about the human propensity to want that God saw fit to leave it as the final thing to remember? Because wanting spiritually good things is good, we must assume that all coveting can't be bad. So the key here is figuring out where to draw the line. Are there degrees of goodness or evil attached to what and how we covet? Fortunately, the Bible provides us with ample evidence so we can not only perceive where the line is, we can also learn how to stay away from it. So, a lot to talk about with the subject, the simple subject of the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet, is it wrong to want? So let's start with the Old Testament. Julie, there's two main words for covet in the Old Testament. What are they and what are their definitions? Well, one of them means to delight in, and the other word for covet means to desire, be desirous, long, like longing or longing after. Okay, to delight in, to have desire. God, and here's the thing, we take a look at those words. God built perfect humanity when he created Adam to be drawn to beauty and goodness. He built desire into the human frame. Jonathan, let's go to Genesis 2.9. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to every tree to grow that is pleasing in the sight 
for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God built desire into humanity. It is appropriate and necessary to have a feeling of delight. You know what? It is, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's an important thing. So the idea, the word for pleasing in Genesis 2.9 is the same word for covet when it says thou shalt not covet. So you get the sense that there's a good side to this, and then there's a very, very dark side to this. This is what we need to, to understand. So let's go to the 10th commandment. Inappropriate coveting is an internal sin of the heart, just as breaking the first commandment of having no other gods but God is a sin of the heart. So coveting, like having another god before God, is a sin of the heart. So let's notice the several aspects of coveting listed in this 10th commandment. Jonathan, let's go to Exodus 20, 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Okay, but who's who's my neighbor? So is a movie star my neighbor? Because there's entire industries dedicated to just watching what they do and what they have and reporting it back to the rest of us who want to live like they do. So who's my neighbor? Well, you know what? And, and we just talked about that last week. Uh, we did. So, so this is an important thing. Who's my neighbor? And the answer is yes, they are your neighbor. And so the idea is that we need to not covet anything that belongs to our neighbor. So what, in fact, does that mean? So we're going to cover each of the aspects of coveting your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, male or female servants, ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to them. Each of these things we're going to cover as we go through today's podcast. In this 10th commandment, God is proclaiming what not to set your heart upon. It is not wrong to want things, but it is wrong to want their things. Yes. <laughs> that's and, right. and, and, and that's really a core from which we can build the conversation on coveting. So let's, let's, we've got an Old Testament basis. Let's go to the New Testament. The, the New Testament gives us a very pointed look at coveting's consequences for a Christian. James chapter 4, verse 2. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So, Julie, there's a couple of words in there that aren't very nice words. It says you lust, and then it says you are envious. What, what are those words? What do they mean? Right. Well, according to the Strong's Concordance, the word lust there means to set the heart upon, to long, whether it's rightfully done or otherwise. And in the King James, that word is also translated as desire and covet. Okay, so we've got the, um, the idea of, of, of setting your heart upon. It's also translated covet. And the other word to have warmth or feeling for or against. So feelings, that, that emotional drawing, just like in the Old Testament. There's a tremendous uh, similarity between the old and new on this. So let, let's go to our theme scripture, Ephesians 5, verse 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Okay, so in this scripture, again, uh, Julie, I'm going to go back to you for another definition. There's a lot of these. Um, the, it, it talks about any no immoral or impure, impure per, or covetous person. What does that word covetous mean? Is it different than the others? 
Julie, you're muted. It's a little different. It means holding or desiring more, like eager for gain, avaricious, hence a defrauder. And I had to look up what avaricious means. And it's having or showing an extreme greed for wealth or material gain. Okay, so you've got that really strong desire, but this is really putting things in, in a little bit more of a focused perspective in the New Testament there. And it's interesting, every time this word is used, it's always in the company of the worst kinds of sin. And you know, I, I never realized that coveting was on par here with idolatry and immorality. So, you know, it really bookends the first commandment that says, you know, do not have any other gods other than Jehovah. It's a bookend. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is a very significant bookend, having our reverence for God first and foremost in our hearts, and then having our desires appropriately set at the end of the commandments. And what I noticed in the theme text was it stressed that if we do not overcome, we will not receive the inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's how serious this is. Yeah, yeah, this is one of those things that can really trip you up in your Christian walk in a big way. This is not just a little, oh, I stubbed my toe. This is trip, fall on your face kind of difficulty that really requires a whole reset. So we have to be very careful with this. Okay, here's the thing. There's a repeated pattern that runs through all negative examples of covetousness, of this, this desire for, for somebody else's things that we've been talking about. So there's actually four points to this, this pattern that's always present. So what are they? Jonathan, why don't you get us started? The observation stage. Now that's when you see something that's attractive. Okay, you see something, it looks good, and you're saying, wow, look at that. It's got your attention. Next, the thought stage. So that's holding and really personalizing the image of that which is attractive. And when you personalize an image of something attractive, uh, we were talking just before the podcast, you're, you're trying it on. You're saying, hey, how does this fit me? That's something that we really have to watch out for. What's next? The rationalization stage. All right. This one's the red alert because now you are convincing yourself that you deserve whatever it is that you covet. Okay, rationalizing to say, I deserve, this is supposed to be for me. And then once we're there, we have put coveting in force, so what's our last piece, Jonathan? The action stage. Turning that inward sin of covetousness into the outward sin of action. Now, I'm an emotional person, and I believe we, emotional people, can be more susceptible to feelings of coveting. I find at times I go down the wrong road in my thinking and I say to myself, what are you doing? And I have to reset and refocus. And prayer is the best way for that. Discussing my improper thinking with the Lord in an earnest way is very humbling. But the sooner I do it, the better. Uh, but we're all vulnerable. It certainly helps me to sympathize with others that have struggles, too. You know, and, and what you said about the sooner I do it, the better, mm -hmm. that is so hard to get your arms around because it's so easy to go down, like you said, that emotional road and that, uh, that, that the, you, you see something, observe, you think about it, and you start to personalize it, and then the rationalizing starts. It's really hard to get out of the rationalizing. 
but you're right, Jonathan. It's f- folks who are more emotional. I I think you're you're right. Have more of a difficulty managing this, but it's important no matter what your your makeup is. Julie and Jonathan, it sounds like what you're describing is you're being still in the pre-sin stage. You know, you're still in that thought stage before you are starting to jump into. Ah, this 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 fits pretty good on me. I I can I can get this lifestyle. You know, well, that so is the hope important. to stop it as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. So and 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 you know the the um, we don't want it to turn into action. So with each of the descriptions of coveting that we go through today, there's going to be a coveting correction that we want to put in place. And this is a sort of a general statement to get us started. Julie, what's our coveting correction? For a Christian, there's several areas of life where coveting presents extreme hazards to our faithfulness, and we need to know what they are so we can avoid them. Okay. There are lots of things that can present extreme hazards. It's not like, okay, you know, um, you might want to wear a different pair of shoes because the, the ground is a little bit slick. This is ta- We're talking black ice hazards. Okay, where it's so easy to slip up and you don't even know what's happening. So this is something big. So it's obvious that coveting is really easy to do and can be really bad. Now we need to know how to stop it. Now that we know the depth of the issue, how do we manage the specifics of the coveting battle? What's up, everybody? It's your CQ voiceover guy, reminding you we also want to talk to you before and after the podcast. Send us a message at ChristianQuestions.com for any and all feedback or message us on our social media channels. Have a topic idea or just questions about what we're talking about? Reach out at ChristianQuestions.com. Fighting against negative coveting requires fighting the battle on two fronts. First, we need to realize the kinds of things we're liable to covet. Jonathan, that's what you were talking about. Next, we need to have an alternative direction for our desire to go. We need to raise our longing up to a humble, God-pleasing level. And that sounds weird. What do you mean, raise your, your, your longing up to a humble level? It's like, what? <laughs> But humility, folks, let's understand this very clearly. Humility, godly humility, is a higher standard of living than anything else. So when we are having coveting problems, we need to raise our standard up to humility before God. So we talked about the pattern that runs through all of the negative coveting, you know, the observation, the thought, the rationalization, and the action. Well, there's also a pattern that runs through all positive examples of covetousness. So they're very similar with one very specific difference. So Jonathan, let's get started with that. All right. The first, the observation stage. Okay. Same. That was seeing something, but in this time it's spiritually attractive. Okay, so you see something is like, oh, you know, this is good, and it can be good. What's next? The thought stage. And that's holding and personalizing the image of that which is attractive. Same thing, personalizing it. Say, wow, this could be something good, and, you know, you'd say, okay, uh, how does it look for me? What's the next one? Well, we use the word rationalization in the negative, but for the positive, we changed it to the reframing stage. So what this means is, We're accepting godliness as a complete replacement for earthly desire. And I think this is just another way of saying we resettle into our contentment. 
So, and we're going to talk a lot about contentment as we go through this, but reframing is not rationalizing. It's exactly the opposite. It's stepping up instead of stepping down because you're reframing toward godliness. And then Jonathan, what's the final piece? The action stage. Turning the inward focus of spiritual growth into outward actions. Making something happen. So coveting can be good, can be profitable in a godly way, and we're going to be talking about how to get there versus the the dark side of, of coveting. So let's go to the 10th commandment. There are several coveting crises that it reveals. So Jonathan, let's introduce the first one. Exodus 20, 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Okay. To covet your neighbor's house is to deeply desire his or her, her life for your own. It's not necessarily about the house, but symbolically it's bigger than that. It's to want to be who they are and to experience what you perceive they experience. You know, coveting is a unique commandment because it takes place in your mind. And if you keep quiet about it, no one actually knows that you're coveting. And it's a secret sin. It's a feeling that you must have whatever it is you're missing. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So it might be well concealed and something that we need to examine. So we alone need to discover this sin and we are responsible for dealing with it. So that's that's what I'm taking about this. This is very personal. It is. It, it is a very personal thing. And, you know, it's the idea of perceiving what they experience. We don't necessarily know, but, you know, it looks good to us. So here's the thing. When you go back to coveting, you say, okay, where did this all start? Where does, where does it first manifest? And the answer is Satan. He is the original coveter. Let's look at Isaiah 14, 12 to 14, which is a symbolic look at Satan and his fall from grace. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high." There Satan was looking toward God and saying, I'm going to be like him. I'm going to put my throne where his throne is. You know what? And the two can't occupy the same space. So Satan was coveting the almighty power of God. He had a level of power and responsibility, but it wasn't enough for him. It was about rising and taking what was God's. Never, ever a good thing. So now let's get a little bit practical with this coveting your neighbor's house or your neighbor's life. And we want to do it from a kind of a physical perspective as well as a spiritual perspective. So do I want somebody else's life, kind of like in a, in a physical sense? Well, I've, I've got a question for you. So speaking from a woman's point of view, there's many women who have normal and I would say even instinctual desires to be married and some want to have children. And in some, this need is so great that it's all-consuming, and they want either a partner or a child at all costs. And it makes them difficult for them to be looking around, and you see everyone paired off or everyone's pregnant, and they definitely want what others have. So when is this a natural desire, and when does it become coveting someone else's life? 
You know, that, that's a really good question, and it's an important question. And, you know, there, look, it is a natural desire, and there's nothing excessively wrong with a natural desire so long as we keep that desire in check within a certain circle of, of appropriateness, if you will. When you start to look at somebody else, another mom with their, their newborn, and you say, that should be me, I should have that child, you've right. gone too far. Okay, but when you look at that mom and say, man, I just, I, God, I just want to have a child like that. that. I don't think that that is the kind of thing that is a, a, a disrespectful to your neighbor. I'm a better mom or would be than that, that woman, so forth and so on. That's where coveting gets, gets difficult and dark. And, you know, I've, I've actually had the experience with some who were not able to have children and we talked about it, you know, from a, from a spiritual perspective and talked about the, how hard it was. It was just incredibly difficult. And a few months later, this, this, this particular sister got, we were talking again and she said to me, she said, you know what, I've, I've put it in order and I'm okay. I'm, I'm good with it. I'm, I've accepted that we were not having children and I'm moving on with life. And you know, there was this great maturity. Well, in this particular case, not too long after that, she contacts me again and says, hey, guess what? I'm pregnant. Who would have thought? Ah. You know, <laughs> not that that's going to always happen, but she was able to put it in order with spiritual maturity. And that's the thing. We need to not wish bad things upon others around us. We can have a desire and it can hurt and you have to bring that before God, but you don't get stuck inside of that desire. So we can be sad for ourselves without being jealous of others. And that's really a great, great way to see. I could have said that in like five seconds and been done. <laughs> well, those words coveting, those that's envy, it's, it's jealousy, it's all that blech, wrapped up into one. Right, right. Okay, let's look at a more spiritual thing now. Do I think that I could do better than my spiritual brother or sister can with their opportunities? Am I coveting in that situation? Just a few examples. Um, they should have called on me in the Bible study to answer that question. I can explain it better. <laughs> or I can't believe they picked that brother to lead the witness opportunity when I'm more of a, a leader type person than he is. Oh, that's good. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. Yeah, yeah. That's a good example, but that's bad. Yeah, and and that's the point. Are we looking at what somebody else is engaged in and saying, you know, I should be that person. I'm better. You know, when we do that comparison, we're demeaning someone else. It's okay to desire, hey, I would love that opportunity, but don't do it in a way that demeans someone else. Let's go on to 1 Timothy chapter 6, because it addresses all the coveting issues in the 10th commandment. 1 Timothy 6, I think we're going to go through about the first 12 verses, but right now it's just verses 1 and 2. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Well, guys, let's put these verses in today's context. Be the best employee you can be and the best boss you can be. Do all things as unto the Lord. Yeah, you know, that's a simple, simple way of looking at it. Do all things as unto the Lord. And you look at this scripture and you think the slave, you know, in those days they had slaves in, in the Roman culture. They did. 
uh, you know, the slave would say, you know, I should be the master. I should be you. You should be me. We should switch. You know, that's, Paul is saying, no, accept what you're given and do the work that you're given with godliness, even though it may not be as fair as you'd like it to be. You still do the work without going after what somebody else has. So when we look at this, you know, the coveting of someone else's life, their, their, their existence, we have to be careful that we don't get stuck in the wrong, looking at things the wrong way. So what's our coveting correction? Reframe your thinking. Wholly embrace your state as the providential placement God has given you. This magnifies God's name and does not detract from his glory. And what you covet becomes your goal. And we'll sacrifice for our goal. We covet what we value most. So what we need to do is set our godly values and eliminate what's not in line with those. Right. Easy to say. Not so easy to do because emotion is what drives coveting. 1 Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. And that's the key, that he may exalt you at the proper time in the proper way because of appropriateness. Coveting steps out of appropriate behavior towards someone else's. We want their stuff and, you know, instead of them having it. That's not a good place to be. You got to remember the process for building godly coveting, the reframing stage especially. Reframe it, make sure it's in a godly perspective. Okay, let's go on to the next coveting crisis, Exodus 20, 17. This is big. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Okay, that's big. To covet your neighbor's spouse is to desire their greatest earthly attachment for your own. It is to desire that person for your partner rather than being with them. Under any circumstances, no matter what, this is not good. Matthew and, five, and Rick, oh, go Rick, this doesn't have to be just a physical a desire for your neighbor's wife, right? No, no, no. This is the, the idea. There's so many aspects to what coveting your neighbor's wife is. We're going to actually develop that in just a minute. Let's do Matthew 5.28. But I say to you that everyone who wants, looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a pretty, pretty strong statement by Jesus. He's talking about the heart. Where does coveting happen? In the heart. Same place. And he's saying there can be adultery within your own heart. Think about the depth of of degradation with that. To desire what's not yours and what cannot be yours because of the solemn promises before God is a really dangerous game to play. So let's look at this from a practical, practical perspective. Do I ever think of or dwell on someone else's spouse as a desired personal partner in any way? You know, this makes me think of uh, a lot of online relationships that are going on these days where there may not even be a physical touching, but there is oh, an emotional connection, or he understands me, or, you know, whatever, there can, that's something that's in your head that others may not see, you've not taken a specific action, but through the typing of your fingers, you can go against this scripture. You know, adultery is this great example of coveting, because coveting is self-centered. 
you will obtain what you want regardless of if it's someone else's expense. The collateral damage that you cause isn't relevant as long as you get what you want. But coveting really doesn't have anything to do with knowing right from wrong, because as you said, Rick, it's a heart problem. It's not a head problem. So it becomes this decision fueled by emotional desire for the wrong things and whatever it takes to get them. It reminds me of an old song. There's lyrics that said, if loving you is wrong, then I don't want to be right. Yeah. Remember that song? I'm not going to sing it. Yeah, good. I'm glad you're I not going to sing it yeah. for several reasons, okay? <laughs> but this is the kind of dangerous, and I would say, God-insulting attitude that coveting creates. Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. So, God-insulting attitude. Ugh. So we we have to be so careful. Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah, and we have to think about how this minimizes our own spouse. It puts her aside from our affections, and it demeans her. Now, didn't we promise in marriage to cherish her for the rest of our lives? You know, the idea behind cherishing, um, in my experience in dealing with, with, with people who've had issues with, with, with marriage, that is the first thing to go. For some reason, somewhere along the way, you stop cherishing. When you cherish something, you you cradle it, you keep it close to you, you protect it, you don't want anything to happen bad to that which you cherish. And in our in, in the marriage situation, that's what's that's the first thing to go. And then you start to look elsewhere. So the moment you start to look around and say, "Boy, I get along with this person really well," and maybe it's somebody you work with, and you're thinking, "Well, you know what? We just seem to hit it off, and and they understand me, like you said, Julie, and and all of that." What you've done is you have demeaned your spouse by in entering into that because you've let this other person replace them. That is not cherishing. It's breaking, and that is not a good thing. So what we, what, what we want to do also is understand that in this idea of adultery, we can, as Christians, adulterize, if you will, our relationship with God through Christ. You know, James says at one point, you adulterers and adulteresses, you know, you, 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 you are cheating on your commitment to God. You know, a few weeks ago we talked about not taking God's name in vain and what that really means. We have to hold up our end of the bargain of being, have, having complete fidelity and loyalty to God. We can cheat on God by having our covetous desires go in different directions. Whether it's your spouse or it's, or it's Jesus Christ, doesn't matter if we are coveting something else. It's all all wrong. So Julie, what's our coveting correction for this point? We want to reframe. So be abundantly clear as to right and wrong. Wrong thoughts are damaging. Wrong covetous, covenant violating thoughts are disastrously destructive for all. It's bad enough to have wrong thoughts. And we all know it's not good to have wrong thoughts. But when those wrong thoughts are covetous, covenant violating thoughts... That's a disaster. It is big. We have to understand. And Jonathan, you were talking about being willing to, to manage these things in a, in, a, in, a, in a really humble way. And we're going to expand on that a little bit further. And, and Rick, before we uh, go on to the Second Corinthians, I love 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. It says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied 
by contentment. And, and I was thinking some phrases that we can recite to keep strong in our relationships and with the Lord. That is, I love my life. How blessed am I? I truly appreciate all the Lord has given me. This shows contentment. You know, when you say, I love my life, and you know, you, for, a, for, for a man, you want to take it another step and say, I love my life, I love my wife, and, you know, th- and therefore there is no strife. How's that? <laughs> wow, all I can tell you, very good. <laughs> all I can tell you is we need to keep this all in very clear order. Um, so, okay, yeah, and that, that's such an important scripture. Godliness with contentment. Now, contentment is not just, okay, I'll be okay, I'll be happy. <sighs> I'll Are be we happy. settling? Right, that is not contentment. Contentment is appreciation, adoring those things. Like you said, Jonathan, I love my life. I love what God has given me. And you know what? Yeah, it may not be a lot, but it's God's gift. And therefore, mm-hmm. I, in my heart, have great contentment. Okay, now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And that's the key with dealing with our covetousness, especially in this area. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We cannot mess around with these kinds of things. We've got to remember the process for building godly coveting. You know, we're in deep weeds when we covet another's life or another's spouse. God grieves at such thoughts. So far, we have seen some of the biggest coveting challenges. What do some of the others look like? Did you know we have one-page companion Bible studies for our most recent podcast episodes? Listen to the episode, follow along with our CQ Rewind show notes, and for your own bite-sized Bible study or group study, check out the Bible study questions content. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Bible study in the main menu. Have some study time and then contact us with any additional questions or comments. Now let's continue the conversation. You know, it may be comforting to rationalize what we desire of our neighbors as, well, at least I'm not desiring everything. The interesting part of how we are instructed to handle this whole coveting sin is that it is not separated into degrees. Essentially, coveting anything of your neighbors is just plain wrong. And that's the way we've got to take a look at this. There is no question about where we stand with these things. So uh, be, before, before we, we move forward to our next coveting crisis, Trish just showed me a, a question that, that came in that, that I think needs to be um, at least put on the table. And, and the question essentially said, you know, well, what, how come it only says don't covet your neighbor's wife? And, it, you know, if you're married, does that mean you can covet a single woman? You know, I mean, it's don't cover your neighbor's wife. Well, and look. The commandment, first of all, in those days, men and women were married. That's just the way it worked, okay? And the idea of not coveting anything of your neighbors, it's saying not coveting anything that is already committed to somebody else. Does that mean it's okay if you're married to covet another woman or another man? No, absolutely not. The word is fornication. Look it up. It is disgusting and as despicable. The idea 
is that it's your neighbors and it adds an extra dimension of the already belonging because of a covenant of God. But even without that covenant of God, the coveting of someone else while you are already married is beyond, is beyond heinous in my mind. It just, you, just, you just can't go there. Now, having said that, let's go on to our next coveting crisis from the 10th commandment, Exodus 20, 17. You shall not covet his male servant or his female servant. Okay, that's weird. We don't have those in, in, in our day. Okay, <laughs> to covet your neighbor's servants, okay, we have to update it, is to desire to have the status that they possess. Having servants in ancient days showed stability and success within a family structure. Oh, you know, and we don't, Christian Questions has many listeners around the world who perhaps even covet something like living somewhere else. You know, people might be resentful that we here were born in the United States and we get to enjoy certain freedoms that aren't readily available elsewhere. Um, so it's really, coveting is what, whatever you're looking at, whatever you know what, what your coveting is within your own heart. And I've got a quote here from Roy A. Gansop. He said this, the tip of the neighbor's iceberg often looks very nice. And I think that's really appropriate because, you know, you, you, you don't even know what you're looking at. You know, you're just seeing the what's through the peek through the window of what your neighbor has. And you have no idea. No one has it all. Yeah. Everyone is dependent upon Christ and God. No one has everything and they're not supposed to. And, and you know, so even with in our Christian fellowship, building on that very thought, we can be fighting perceived status battles. And you're right. Nobody has everything. It's what I think that you have is what that I want. It's not necessarily what you have because many people, let me back up. Most people are dissatisfied with their lives. They simply are. Whether they're rich, whether they're poor, whether in this country or in another, you know the old phrase, it's an American phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Well, it works with everything and it always seems to be greener till you get there and then you realize it's a swamp you know <laughs> it's like wait what happened here so you know so l- let's take a look at this the idea of this perceived status battle first corinthians 12 14 to 16 gives us a sense of that for the body is not one member but many if the foot says because i am not a hand i am not part of the body It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Okay, so within the body of Christ, you know, Paul is bringing up a very, very, very obvious point. Hey, if I'm not... The, the person who's got the, the, the higher success or stability, then I must not be as good. I'm, I don't have the status that they have, you know, and, and you know, I, I should be them instead of them being them because, you know, I don't have the status that they have. So well, when we look at this two ways, again, from a physical life standpoint, am I insecure and wanting what others have? And I wonder how often it is the desire of a life of ease that yeah. they perceive someone else has. Yeah, and, and there's always that sense of, and, and look, don't we all go through those thoughts? Wouldn't it be easier if, oh, if I could only, oh, mm. I wish. And you're right, Jonathan, that's what it comes down to, that life of 
Ah, now I can just kind of float along. I've arrived. Yes, (laughs) that's right. I'm important. Yeah. It's funny. It reminds me of a phrase, um, big hat, no cattle. Yeah. A lot of times things look like one way. And there's nothing behind it too, so you you don't even know what your what what ease and status you're you're trying to follow. But you know the Apostle Paul in Romans seven seven to twelve said how important this commandment was, because he said sin produced in me coveting of every kind. And so if the Apostle Paul had a problem with coveting, I really need to pay attention to the warning signs. Yeah, we and and th- that's a that's an important point because we all have that issue in us. And because we're imperfect, it's accentuated. And, you know, God planted desire into the human, into human beings, but imperfection accentuates the dark side. So now, you know, status and ease and what they have, you know, we don't know what they worked for. We don't know what their stresses are. We just look at it and it looks really nice. What about spiritually? Do I desire the spiritual status or opportunity of somebody else? Well, here's a hypothetical situation. A young sister in Christ desires to only marry a minister like her best friend did because she wants that status. Does she really know what she's desiring? A minister has many responsibilities, preparing Bible studies once or twice a week, counseling for the brethren, performing funeral and wedding ceremonies, taking care of the family responsibilities, etc. And on top of all that, holding down a full-time job. The sister thinks she could do a better job Uh, than her friend uh, as a wife of a minister. Um, What is her motivation? To serve the Lord and be a good spouse, or is it the status of being the wife of a minister? Yeah, and really, you know, that, that, that's a simple example, but it's, it's profound because we can take the principles in there and apply it to anything. Do I want what I'm wanting so I can actually serve, Mm. or do I want what I'm wanting so I can be noticed as I serve, you know, you guys got to put put this all put, put this all in, in 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 a better perspective. So let me flip the question: Do I desire the spiritual status or opportunity of another? You're both ministers in your own local congregations, and you've studied the Bible for decades. You've been speaking on biblical subjects here at Christian Questions weekly for how many years? Twenty-two. Yeah, oh, <laughs> twenty-two years. How do you both keep from being the object of others coveting your opportunities and status? I mean, here you're on a pedestal, so to speak, and others could get covetous or jealous and resentful of these opportunities. So, okay, okay. You know, Julie used the word, one of those words that you want to push Rick's buttons, here's a word. Uh-oh. <laughs> congregation? No, 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 not congregation. You know, when you say, okay, you're on, you're on a pedestal, there is everything wrong with that. Everything. Because any service, as a matter of fact, next week we're talking about leadership in Christian churches. And the, the basic premise is leadership is servanthood. You are not higher. You should actually, in many ways, be lower, and you should be able to look across the table at somebody, not down from wherever you happen to be. And this idea of putting individuals on a pedestal and saying, I want to be like that. No, no, no. What you want is you want your perception of being higher. Please run away. Run away from that desire because it's inappropriate. It doesn't belong 
in the church. Use your practical ex experience that you told Julie and I about when you lead a Bible study. Tell, tell everybody what you do so that that is not the case. Well, you know what? And it, it's a little tiny thing. And I, I didn't come up with the idea. The idea was presented just by the furniture in the room. And I took it as a, as a symbolic reminder for me. When we, lead, we, we have our Bible studies, we're in a room, and, and all of the brothers and sisters sit at tables. And I, have a, I lead the studies on Sundays, and I have a table. My table is lower than everybody else's. It just happened to be the table that was available. And I looked at it, I thought, wow, this is really good. Because when I sit lower, it reminds me that I'm here to serve. And I've been sitting at that lower table for years and years and years and years. And every single Sunday when I sit there, I remind myself, I get to serve. I get to be in that lower position. What a blessing. And that's, that's part of how to keep it in order. So let's go now. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we should be content. It's simple. Think about the basics and find contentment. And remember what contentment isn't just settling. Contentment is true appreciation. So, Julie, what's our coveting correction here for desiring the status of our neighbor as our own? The correction is to reframe our thinking. Remember that all we have, we were given. And the only status that matters is our status in the eyes of God. And Rick and Julie, I have a status checkup for life. Look up and say, God, where do I stand before you? Oh, see, Ooh, and, and that's it, good. isn't that the only thing that matters? It is. In whose eyes are we worried about how we look? It should be in the eyes of God. Let's not forget the pattern that runs through all of the positive examples of covetousness. I know we've already mentioned it, but let's do it one more time. Jonathan, what is it? The observation stage. Seeing something spiritually attractive. The thought stage. Holding and personalizing the image of that which is attractive. The reframing stage. Accepting godliness as a complete replacement for earthly desire. The action stage. And then we turn that inward focus of spiritual growth into positive outward actions. That's how we take coveting and make it godly especially that reframing. Great example of that. 1 Corinthians 12. Remember we talked about the body of Christ just a few verses ago. We, we, we quoted 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 16. Well, now let's go to verses 17 and 18. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. So it's God's decision that you are lower, perhaps, than, than others. One more scripture on this, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Not jealous, that's one of the words for coveting. So when we are in the body of Christ, what we need to understand is, play the role that you're given. You know, I don't know, I still don't know, I should have looked it up, but I didn't. I don't know what a spleen does in the body. But you know what? It's, some, it's got some function somehow, somewhere. And I'm telling you, if God has called you to be the spleen, then you <laughs> be the spleen. Be the spleen. <laughs> Seriously. Well, all, all are important 
in their spot. And that's exactly the point. That's the point. All right, let's go on to our next coveting crisis from Exodus 2017, the 10th commandment. What is it, Jonathan? You shall not covet his ox or his donkey. Okay, so we talked about male servants and female servants as status and so forth. Well, the ox or his donkey, that kind of indicates to covet your neighbor's ox or donkey is to desire the success in business that your neighbor maintains. Now, a good example of coveting success, spiritually actually, is Simon the Sorcerer was coveting the genuine success of the apostles. And remember, he worked magic, and the crowds thought he was something very special. That's told to us in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Now there was a man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. Okay, and you know, that's, he, was, he had the art of deception down and, and sleight of hand, and he was really good, and people were just basically like, ooh. And then he saw what the apostles could do. Acts 8, let's jump to 18 to 20. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. You know, I think Simon the sorcerer really just wanted the praise from the people to feed his ego because he desired the attention. Yeah, and, and, you know, and that's part of coveting. We covet somebody's something because we want what we think that gives them in terms of status, or in this case, success. And we have to be careful about that. You know, so I, practical question. Am I dissatisfied with my income earning ability or my business prowess? It, you know, my own, my own example, worked in a cabinet and countertop shop for many years, many years ago. And I started out on the production line. And so I'm, I'm there, you know, making countertops with the, with the guys in the shop. And, you know, and people talk about stuff, you know, and they talk about, well, you know, the boss is this and the boss is that. And if I was running the shop, I could do this. And, and he doesn't even know what he's talking about. He's never worked out. He doesn't, on and on and on and on. Well, you know what? I, I, I worked my way up through the system. I ended up being the general manager of the shop several years later. And now I'm working with the boss, Okay. So now I'm, I'm listening to the other side and hearing what the boss says about the employees. Boy, these guys, if they would only, you know, just do their jobs the way they're supposed to, I pay them good money. That, that, that. You know, and it occurred to me that, that, that each side looked at the other and said, you know, if only I could do this, then, you know, it would be better because I am the guy. And, you know, we can't, when we look at somebody else's success, they're saying, you know, I should be the owner of the shop. Well, okay, ahead, buy your own, <laughs> but don't. Don't knock your boss off to take over. You know, that's the difference. Let's look at this from a, a, a spiritual perspective. Am I looking at what another brother or sister accomplishes, and do I want their opportunities? Well, it's not always what it seems. And I'm going <laughs> to quote one of your sermons, Rick, that was called Redeeming the Time. And you said this, the appearance of effortless service comes only as a result of practice, pain, and perseverance all of which must result from the right focus and activity. And one other quote you said from that, the path to a thrilling mountaintop passes directly through the tedious valley of experience. Yes, it does. And anybody who's ever achieved anything and, and accomplished something has had to go through hard, hard hard work. And when we covet, we don't necessarily see the hard work. We just like to see the glitter that, uh, that comes. And you know what we don't realize is the glitter that we see is the sweat that's on their face. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
Well, you went on to explain that our Christian walk has to have a sense of urgency. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus. And we can't be complacent breaking the 10th commandment by coveting because it wastes our time. Yeah. And it takes our energy away from that focus. And to quote you again, you said, if you have a covetous heart from what others have, you do not have an urgent heart towards the vision. You can't have both. So we'll put a link to your sermon in the CQ Rewind show notes that are free on our website and app. And you can text CQ Rewind to number 22828 to get Rewind emailed to you every week. All right, you know, and and you know, those are such important thoughts. The idea of when when we're spending our time coveting, we're not spending our time intensely progressing. That's right, because the, it keeps taking your focus off. Right. If you're taking your focus off, your goal won't be reached. Because coveting demands full attention. Oh yeah. By definition, intensity to grow and and mature spiritually demands full attention. By definition, you can't have two things that demand full attention working at the same time when they're contrary to one another. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. All right, Jonathan, 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. Did we read that? No, we didn't. Not yet. No, we didn't. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, and this idea of the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Folks, we have to be careful as Christians, because when we get involved within the context of the gospel and, and begin to look toward money and look toward dollars and cents as blessing and abundance and the things that we should be starting to pray for and all of that, you know, the prosperity gospel, it can actually promote coveting. And we've already seen what coveting does. It destroys spirituality. This is serious stuff. And the prosperity gospel really minimizes the true cost of discipleship because that's all about self-sacrifice. And the prosperity gospel is all about what's in it for me if I do that sacrifice. Not even if I sacrifice. What, what just what's in it for me? Yeah, and and so you know we have to be really really careful. Now now the now the the thing about coveting is when, you know when we look at it. In the Tenth Commandment, it says you don't covet this or that of your neighbors. And that's an important principle here, that because they have it, we shouldn't want it from them. We shouldn't want to take it away from them. There's nothing wrong with desiring to do well in life and working towards it. And maybe you'll look at your neighbor and you say, hey, you do, you're doing well. I'd like to do well just like you, instead of, hey, I deserve it, you don't. I want what you have. There's a big difference between the two. And we want to focus on that desire, that, that actually good desire, and, and, and building it. So, John, you can be your mentor. You can mentor sure. and, and still not be covetous. Right, right. So, you know, it's not, it's not desiring something good. But when we desire physical riches in the context of Christianity, our desire is off. It's just off. It's just we are, we're going down the wrong pathway. What's our coveting correction here, Jonathan? Reframe your thinking. Focus on the fact that our opportunities are unique and our faithfulness can only come through developing that uniqueness according to God's will. Remember that we are each 
individuals that were called by God through Christ. My opportunities are different than yours. Yours are different than mine. Thank God I have mine and you have yours because I'd fall flat on my face with yours. You know, and I'm, I, I'm willing to admit that, okay? So it really comes down to making sure that we see things and we have that thankfulness. First Timothy 3.1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now, it's a good thing to desire to be an overseer, which means a minister, if you really want to teach and support the brotherhood. Serving is investing yourself into others and doing it. And in doing that, God will bless you uh, as you serve. And again, it's about the service. It's not about status. It's not about success. It's not about looking at somebody else and say, I should be that person. It's not taking something from someone else, but it's about desiring to actually serve. So coveting seems to be a lot more insidious than we thought. It's like the bad penny you just can't get rid of. We have seen coveting in very specific terms. Is it still a problem when it is more generalized? Our YouTube channel has a lot going on. Go to ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Featuring new releases every week. Check out our playlists like CQ Kids, Moments That Matter, and CQ Bible 101. Plus, we have even more new series content planned to roll out soon. So stay tuned at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. No matter how large or small, coveting anything of our neighbors is always a problem. The key to understanding the breadth of this issue is realizing that coveting, by definition, crushes our godly contentment. We cannot be contented with God's will and desiring our neighbor's experience simultaneously. Just doesn't work. Final coveting crisis from the 10th commandment in Exodus chapter 20. Verse 17, what is it? You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Okay. not Now, we talked about specifics before this, and now we're talking about the broad statement, don't covet, don't desire, don't delight in for yourself anything that belongs to your neighbor. To covet anything of your neighbor's is to dwell on a basic dissatisfaction with your own life and focus your attention on what someone else has. Coveting reveals a lack of contentment. It's that simple. There's this great quote by William P. Smith. He said this, When I realize that God makes his gifts fit each person, there's no way I can covet what you got because it just wouldn't fit me. Doesn't that put it in perspective? Yeah, you know, if we could all just take that and run with it every single day. It just wouldn't fit me. You know, it, I, I am blessed with what I have. And even if what I have is small or difficult or full of trial and trauma and difficulty right now, it's still God's providence. And I should not be coveting what's somebody else's life instead of mine. In our Christian environment, many of our issues with one another are connected to coveting. James chapter 4. Now, we could have done the entire podcast on James chapter 4, verses uh, 1 through 10, but... In James 4, 1 through 3, James plasters everybody with with just raw, hard truth about where they're going wrong. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? 
Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Well, Rick and Julie, they're not asking the right questions and they'll never get the right answers with improper motives. And, and that's the point. You know, you, you, you don't have because you don't ask. And what you're, you're asking is the wrong question anyway. So you're wrong. I mean, J James is powerfully pounding into them how much they need to change. And he uses, uses yet another word along the lines of coveting Julie. And this word um, is when he says, you, you, um, let's see, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. That word for pleasures, what is it? Well, it means sensual de delight and by implication desire. So here he warns that you lust so that you commit murder. You're envious so you fight. You ask at the wrong motive so that you can get your sensual delights. You see there's that progression there. You know, we've all heard of how marijuana is called a gateway drug. It means by using marijuana, there's a higher likelihood you're going to move on to harder drugs. But coveting is like a gateway sin. Many sins begin with coveting. It's spider cracks into different sins. You won't take something from your neighbor that you didn't first covet, for example. Yeah, yeah. And, and the key is taking it from your neighbor. There's nothing wrong with desiring to make your life better. That's a good thing. But don't look to take it from someone else and, and, and have, have, uh, have degrading thoughts about someone else because you want what they have. And I, and I like that, the, the spider cracks, it just, they, they, they make the foundation unstable. So from a practical perspective, do I have, do I have obsessively covetous thoughts about anything that has to do with my neighbor? Well, negatively coveting anyone else is God insulting because you're showing a lack of appreciation and contentment for the blessings that you've been given. So I think for me, I'm going to be remembering these stages, observation, thought, reframing, and then action. Warning bells should be going off all over the place during that thought phase so that you can reframe instead of rationalize. Because really, once you've started rationalizing, once you start trying on that lifestyle or that person or that whatever, you're done. It's really hard to crawl back from. Yeah, and, and you know, what happens when we covet that which is our neighbors for ourselves, we can take something that we began by appreciating, and when you covet something that you once appreciated, you've taken appreciation and, you, and you've broken it. You've broken it into a thousand pieces, and it's no longer appreciation. It's now turned evil and dark. And remember, the sin of coveting is as deep and devious as sins of immorality. It's listed with them. We cannot take this lightly. So on a spiritual level now, am I engaging in conflicts with the brotherhood, that, just like James was speaking about, that can be traced back to my own covetous nature? And something I was thinking about is that we need to be careful not to discourage our brethren from their service to God. If we someone, see someone working hard and is busy for the Lord, we should not tell them, hey, take it easy uh, or suggest a, another service we think is better for them. That can happen when we may feel we are being inadequate in our own service. We all have different abilities, talents, strengths, and we should not be comparing ourselves with others. 
Well, that's a really good point because what better way to stop someone else from making you look bad but encourage them to stop what they're doing? And are we concerned for their well-being or is that person showing us up and we want them to stop looking so good to everybody else? That's that's a really good example. So this is about status and perception in the eyes of others, saying, I want to be recognized with higher status and perception. <laughs> you need to slow down so I can catch up kind of thing. And really looking at your motives. Yeah. Really looking at your motives. And so, again, this comes down to God's providence in my life. Am I saying that God's providence in my life isn't good enough? The status that I should be concerned about is from above. It's not in anybody else's eyes. This is hard. This is difficult. But this is how to avoid dark coveting and reframing, reframing, reframing. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, you said, you man of God, flee from these things, you man of God. You man of God is a heavy title to hold when you are secretly coveting. Ooh. Don't take God's name in vain. We, when we're called a man of God like that, we need to stand up and be accountable for being a man of God. And, and then it says, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance. These are all the ways to avoid coveting what somebody else has or what somebody else is doing or how somebody else is perceived. So our coveting correction here for this coveting anything that belongs to our neighbor, Jonathan, what is it? Reframe your thinking. Covetousness is a think sin. To stand for Christ is to stand in support of and love for the brotherhood. Our battle lies in choosing to serve God through Christ and put self away. That is where the battle is. It's not about my brother, what they have, what they do, how they're perceived, how successful they are, how famous they are, and you know my desire for that. My battle is about choosing to serve God through Christ and putting self away. It has nothing to do with anybody else and their success and their standing before God or before the brotherhood. So now James, remember in James 4, 1 to 3, really pounded the brotherhood saying, you know, your, 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 your pleasures are what is, is, is driving you. You're not asking the right kinds of questions because you're asking upon your lusts and all of these things. James chapter 4 now, verses 6 through 10, he now tells them how to appropriately act. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So, these are all parts of the healing solution. The one I want to focus on is mourn and weep. We need to feel heartbroken for when we went wrong in order to change where we went. You know, again, that's so easy to say, but it's very important to do. You look at this scripture, and, you know, we can, we can really get into 
submit to God. Yes, I can do that. Resist the devil. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Draw near to God. Oh, I'm in. Cleanse your hands. Okay, okay, I can do that. That's good. Purify your hearts. Yes. Mourn and weep. What? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Why would he say that? Because the depth of the sin of coveting requires deep contrition. That's why. Because it's a big sin. And we need to put it in perspective, humble ourselves in the presence of God, and he will exalt us. You know, again, it's good to have our passions in the correct places. Having a passionate, godly desire to build up the brotherhood to spiritual maturity, that's something we all, all ought to have. The Apostle Paul had that, 2 Corinthians 11.2. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So I, I am jealous. That's one of the words for coveting. You know, I am desirous for what? For you to be godly in everything you do as a group, as, as the brotherhood. I want to present you to Christ with purity because it's so important to me. That's the kind of desire that we should be looking for. You know, and, and, and the final example of, of, of appropriate desire in, these, in, in, in this way is to bend all of our personal desires toward fellowship, godliness, and self-sacrifice. That's easy to say. Jesus, when he was the night, the night that he is going to go through trial before the day he's crucified, he's with his most beloved followers, the apostles, and, and, and he is showing them his deepest, deepest desire. Here's what he says in Luke 22, 14 and 15. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That word, with fervent desire, I have desired, is the same word that's translated lust. Okay? It's that deep longing. Coveting can come out of that. What Jesus showed us is to have that kind of desire drive us to want to be with and to build up and to protect and to help those of like precious faith. Let's remember that coveting the, the, the thou shalt not covet is the 10th commandment. And it's the 10th commandment because it's a, it's a commandment of the heart. And God left the Ten Commandments with that thought. Watch what's in your heart, because what's in your heart will dictate what you do. And you look at the previous commandments, and you see that all of them have coveting as a part of them. Let's make sure we don't covet. We don't desire that which is not appropriate, that which belongs to someone else, their position, their family, their success, their status, whatever it is. Let's instead truly desire the blessing of God and his blessing, his eyes looking upon us saying, yes, you're going in the right direction. That is where our desires belong. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please 
rate us, review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And coming up next week, does my church leadership have it right? Does my church leadership have it right? A lot to talk about there. Talk to you next week.